Hi, I'm Mike David, and my thoughts and opinions are my own, and not a representation of the Movie Rose community, its sponsors, or its brands. Guess who's Bizak? Thank you so much for still downloading the show. I'm your host, Mike David, and this is The Commando. The music is definitely ceremonious. It's like, rise to the occasion. It's, it's like, come here for a reason. 100%. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I'm your host, Mike David. This is The Commando, Episode 8, It Never Rains in Southern California. Welcome. Today is March 3rd, 2023. We are one day away from UFC 285, Jones versus Gone. Now, let me be honest with you. I think we're almost 24 hours away, maybe a little bit over the 24-hour mark for John versus Cyril. This is going to be... Now, later, I will actually get into all the crazy... I'm pretty sure if you're a fan of MMA, you already looked over the card. You already know what's coming. But if, if you are not too familiar with this card, if you're not besides the main event, obviously there's people coming out of the woodworks, people waking out of slumbers to see John Jones fight. So... I'm going to go through later some of the things that some of the fights that are, are I didn't even have time to cover. I'm already going off track, but listen, if you didn't think I was going to be back before John Jones came back, of course, you know, come on now, you know, I was going to be back before Israel Asanya fought. I mean, that's a couple of dude, March is jam packed. If you were planning to spend money, on any UFC numbered, you know, any UFC pay-per-view, and you had Jones and Israel in the same month, no disrespect to Edwards or Usman, but she would be, you financially, <laughs> now if you got dough to spend, if you got, if you, if you're buying every pay-per-view, that's, if you buy the next three pay-per-views, you, my friend, you are probably like me and addicted to MMA. but let's 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 move on here now again i'm mike david i'm your super professional fan and this episode is brought to you by the 1997 hit from tony 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 it never rains in southern california i love california i was born in new york but i love california and it does rain in california for the last week or two it's been raining, it's been helling, it's been snowing, the, the weather's crazy. It's starting to feel like, like Armageddon is upon us. So you, if you wrap in that with the UFOs being shot down, which who knows if they're actual UFOs, who knows if we're ever going to hear about that stuff again. If they were actual UFOs, we're probably not going to ever hear about that stuff again. Uh, and the multiple train derailings. Now, this isn't some current event type show, but saying all that, because the, the biggest event of them all is upon us. That's the, that's the Armageddon upon us. John Jones is back. UFC 285 is upon us. Now, 
this week's going to be a little, all the weeks are, I'm back. So it's, it's, I'm always coming with new stuff, period. I'm always coming back because there's been major improvements or major adjustments. And that's why I'm back. But this week we are going to be discussing thoughts on episode eight's fighter of the week or fighter of the episode, should I say. Quick recap on UFC Fight Night Muniz, uh, Muniz versus Allen. That late night or last minute event change from Krylov versus Span, which I, for some reason, I was in love with when I heard it was scheduled and slightly broke my heart when this another Apex joint. <laughs> End it with a, um, now don't get me wrong, Muniz versus Allen wasn't bad. It was actually very eye-opening for several reasons, but having a main event go away again at the last minute, it's getting kind of, it's getting kind of awkward at this point. Now, just imagine having a fight in a major city. This is... I'm not going to go on this tangent long. I'm just, it's a thought that just crossed my mind and I'm messing up the intro badly. But just thinking about for these events that are scheduled in major cities and the, ma- the main card, the main event, it is, it disappears. So maybe these apex joints for the most part have their, they have their place, but Let's get back into, so quick recap on that. The main event switch, UFC fight night. And then we're going to get into three new fighter cards. Now, Erdy uh, talked about John Jones, 285. We're going to get into that stuff. Small review on each fight. I did have notes on the Jones versus Gone. Trust me, it's not going to be any crystal ball type shit. That is one of the most confusing fights. I'm I'm going to say this and then we're going to move on. It's confusing because there's too many question, mark, question marks surrounding John Jones. And not saying in a good or bad way. It's just there's too many question marks. Now, another reason that I'm back is because I couldn't miss an opportunity to cover John Jones. Like it's it is an event. And I I don't like to tap into too much MMA BS media and whatnot, but the news and outlets, I don't know if it's the UFC push, but the push for John Jones has been immense. Ever since the poster popped up on accident, it's been everybody's clamoring for John Jones. And his response to certain things in interviews have been beautiful. It's win or loss. I'm inspired by what John Jones is starting to bring, period. Now, of course, I couldn't miss a fucking chance to cover Valentina Shevchenko. We all know, yes, I am in love with her. Not because she is one of the baddest chicks on the planet and probably one of the most deadly It's because she dances at the end of her victories, meaning, you know how disrespectful it is for someone to dance after you just fought them? 
what? You're that okay? And most of the time when she does get injured and stays away for a while because she had surgery on her knee, I don't, listen, we're going to get into another dancer shortly in this episode, but when a person dances after they whip your ass, they've whipped your ass. Moving on. Also, she should have her own main card, but I understand. She's been away for a minute. It's not nothing against Grosso, but it's not like Grosso is a big enough name to carry a main event. But let's get into this episode. And up first, Jordan Levitt. This week's fighter of the week, fighter of the episode, episode eight fighter is Jordan Levitt. If you don't know who the lightweight Jordan Monkey King Levitt is, if you haven't seen him fight out of syndicate MMA, he comes out of syndicate MMA. He's currently four and two in the UFC career overall, 11 and two. Now the dude's flamboyant, but he's, he's deadly. And I know those two shouldn't mix, but his KOs are, okay, his KOs and his post-performance, back to the dancers, his post-performances after winning are gold. He twerks after he wins. He's, he drops it like it's hot after he wins. He literally does a, I forgot his last fight. We're going to get more of the detail, but his last fight after he won, his hand was raised. Almost split seconds later, and it was split seconds later because I'm forgetting the announcer's name. He was right behind him, and Jordan Levitt drops a split backwards. Now, watching him perform after winning a fight is like hearing Chell Sonnen speak. It's, you can't miss it. And if you, for the new fans, if you don't know who Chell Sonnen is, is he's again he's gold chel sonnen is an mma legend who regardless of if he's i think he does speak a lot of hyperbole every now and then maybe he is trying to sell something or it's it's a certain persona he keeps up i don't know if he keeps it up all day it's like the michael jackson voice i don't know if he does it all day but when he does do it, he, it's, you, it's something you don't want to miss or it's something that for some reason you gravitate, at least for me, I gravitate towards it. Now, getting back to Jordan Levitt, because that's almost the same type of pull. His performances, especially this one and why he's the fighter of the week, his performances never disappoint. Now, he won on Contender Series. And I'm starting to hop around, but he got a first round sub on Dana White's contender series. And since then, I had my eye on him since then. Even with his flamboyance, and that's probably why I was my initial judgment of Jordan Levitt, as you see any fighter, was blown away. Because he, I think he's so unassuming that these fighters don't, I don't know if they, they don't believe he has the skill, but the dude 
is nice, especially with submissions. Now, in last week's UFC Fight Night switcheroo, this dude, Jordan Levitt, was walking. This dude walked out to Pretty Ricky, grind with me. Now, this, who, who's walking out to grind with me in a fucking professional fight? Ass whooping or not, that's a standout song. I mean, not that I like the song, but it's standout for a soundtrack that you're, you're listening to before you're, you're, you're about to have a slugfest. Now, within the fight, we're going to talk about little specifics of why I picked him for this week. Now, there was a transition. It, to me, it was it's like the victory transition. It's the, it's the perfect transition from what he did to win the fight. Now, there's a push kick. Legit, Levitt dodges like a, 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 a right straight from Martinez. And then a sequence of strikes from Ty Clinch to a hook that turns into an elbow from Jordan Levitt. So it, it's Jordan Levitt's pressure crumbled this dude. He catches the dude with a Ty Clinch and immediately goes to knees to his head. Now, the first two land flush on Martinez's head. Luckily, the last one, Martinez had just enough energy left to put up his arm before the third knee hit. But he was already done. It was like a defense mechanism. You're, just, you're protecting yourself as best as possible. But the first two hadn't landed so flush. It didn't matter. It did not matter. Now, Jordan Levitt has first five-round finishes, which is crazy for the lightweight division, which is, if any, we, the lightweight division is probably the deepest division in the UFC, the most impressive division probably in any organization, period. Now, Jordan Levitt's debut into the UFC was him slamming Matt Wyman unconscious. It was a disgusting slam. Mind you, Matt Wyman has not fought since the loss to Levitt. I don't know if it's more towards the reason why he, you know, the, the slam that he got from Levitt. But if, you've, if you haven't seen Jordan Levitt versus Matt Wyman, it's not a long fight. But it just shows you the dangers of certain things that can happen during fight. That doesn't need to be a kick or a punch or a submission. And it was kind of scary the way he got knocked out. Moving on. Into the scariness of him knocking out his unconscious body. Jordan Levitt's twerking. Jordan Levitt is twerking in the vicinity of an unconscious body. This is <laughs> It's impressive. It's impressive. Now, football players go and spike the ball, they do their little, you know, new whatever new rap or hip hop dances out. Sure. This man twerks and drops it and does Whatever he wants after he beats your ass. 
Now, this type of contrast and savagery is only in combat sports, and it's mastered by Jordan Levitt, period. Now, he only has two defeats in the UFC. A decision loss to Claudio Poyez, which, if you don't know who Claudio Poyez is in the UFC, he has a knee bar fetish. And in his last fight, Dan Hooker was having none of that. <laughs> um, but if Jordan Levitt was a little bit more confident in his stand-up, he gives the top 20 light, lightweights problems. Now, obviously, he lost to Patty Pimblett, who himself would probably have problems within that 24, as well as Jordan Levitt. But he submitted Jordan Levitt. Rear-necker choke. And then Patty dropped it, almost dropped it hot on his uh, Jordan Levitt's face after beating him. But that was, it, it's their entertainment value alone for Jordan Levitt. And if you ever heard the dude speak, he sounds like a, it just, hearing fighters speak a certain way and then understanding how people non-MMA fans look at MMA, it's just, there's a deep contrast and there's a, the image around MMA is very weird. It's, maybe it's the people and we're not going to get into the whole psychology of people at the moment. I, I, this episode, I don't like the, (laughs) we don't want this episode to be three hours. Um, but it is, it's the psychology of people. And Jordan Levitt is someone who is so out of the box that any assumptions you would have about him or his character would probably be false if you didn't know who he was. That's to sum it up in a nutshell, right? Now, I say his stand-up is dope, and I think he gives the top 20 lightweights problems because his hands seem to be the problem that I think he needs to work on as far as power and just confidence in that he's not hesitating on his strikes. Confidence in his fight against Patty Pimblett, it's, I mean, shit, even the fight against Martinez, he was, his head movement was beautiful. And in this finishing sequence, he actually, his head movement, within that sequence was perfect and it actually saved him because Martinez probably would have knocked him out or at least if he had not moved his head, he would have fucked up that winning sequence period. So his hands are there, but I think he just needs to have a little bit more comp, just a little bit more confidence in him. But the contrast of that is if he gets his hands on you, which is why he's 11 and two, the dude's nice. So he's there, but he's not there yet. I think he has time to work on some things, but given his age, which the dude is just still young as shit, he has time. But come on, this is the lightweight division. And we're not going to talk about it if, if I don't want to get in the crystal ball shit. But I would love to see what he does within his next two or three fights. Now, we've seen other fighters improve more drastically than someone that's 11 and 2. But again, this is 
This is why Jordan Levitt stands out to me. This is why I picked him for the episode eight fighter of the week. I got, I got to make sure that we recognize these guys as they come through, because as we've seen, no tangent until I'm not going to go on a tangent, but Darren Till, which I wanted to do a piece on Darren Till. I actually wanted to do an ex- a fighter card on Darren Till, but it is what it is. He, hopefully he'll be back. And who knows? Maybe I'll still do a fighter card as a currently retired fighter. And I would love to actually go in more about why I think Darren Till left. But next up, we are going to get into the recap. Okay, looking into recap. And now looking back at Muniz versus Allen. So in a nutshell, yeah, there's a couple fights that I want to talk about. It wouldn't, probably not fights that you think or knockouts. Or, I don't want to get into, you know, first round this and first round that. I want to get into things or fights that perplex me. And once I heard they were happening or the matches were set, the bouts were had dates, whatever. The super fan in me, it's, it's like a spider sense, I guess, if that's what a spider sense feels like. But Osborne, okay, Ode Osborne, Ode Osborne versus Charles Johnson. Can't even get the words out because that's the that's the tingle, right? When I, I knew this fight was happening, I said, okay. A, a question mark fell over me, and I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't grasp how this fight was gonna go. Getting into a small tangent, not only are we gonna get into Osborne versus Johnson, um, an, another fight that perplexed me on a, in a whole different manner. It's kind of disappointed me was the uh, Augustus Sakai versus Dontel Mays. Now, that is a fight that the fan in me, it pissed the fan in me off because not that I wanted to see us a, a heavyweight slugfest, but if you miss the fight, don't worry about watching the fight because we're going to get into the details of why I was disappointed. <laughs> Uh, then last but not least, we're going to get into Andre Muniz versus Brendan Allen. And if I keep switching up how I'm saying it, I, I think it's honestly Muniz, Muniz. I don't think it's Muniz, but Hey, Andre Muniz is what it should be going forward for me. Now I need to grab my notes, but we're going to get into Ode Osborne versus Charles Johnson. But I knew these dudes were fighting. I, I kind of drew the blank face. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And then the fight ended in a split decision for O'Day, which watching it again, I, I don't know. Yes, I thought he would probably have won more than a split. But Charles Johnson is not a slouch. Charles Johnson used to be an LFA champion. So he deserves to be where he's at. We'll get to that. But for Ode Osborne, a.k.a. the Jamaican sensation, 
the fight starts off by Ode immediately establishing range with kicks, but not only establishing range, he range, he basically told Johnson that this is this is gonna be the fight unless you come in and get the rest of this. And he dictated that fight for the most part until Charles Johnson does what Charles Johnson does and starts talking shit. And that fire or maybe Charles Johnson started to get in Ode's head. Maybe Ode got a little tired. I don't know. Meaning, I mean, plus Ode, um, no, no, Charles Johnson is a cardio machine. So, again, I think given a second chance, he probably would be able to pull off this victory. But Ode Osborne, again, he established, he not only established range and leg kicks early, he, he took a lot of Charles Johnson's movement away. Charles Johnson is very good at boxing, and they had a game plan, or Ode's team had a game plan for Charles Johnson. I mean, the dude has a ton of footage. Again, he used to be a champion, so he has a ton of footage. Not only that, the dude's a cardio machine, which championship fights are what? Five minute, you know, five, five minute rounds, and he has a couple under his belt. Obviously, it, in this fight, it wasn't enough. But the other thing I love about Charles Johnson, and the other thing <laughs> that I, I thought Ode Osborne was going to do a little bit more of, was talk shit. And there wasn't too much of that from Ode, but Charles Johnson did get frustrated at one point and started barking. So let's see. The other thing for, or the other part of why I believe Ode really upset Charles Johnson's game is because he was very persistent on interrupting Charles Johnson. Whenever Charles Johnson would get started, Ode was there. Ode would do something to interrupt his flow. Leg kick, jab, jab, leg kick, body kick. He would always be there to not give Charles Johnson a chance to even pressure him. Ode really didn't give up space until, again, Charles Johnson just got frustrated and it was like, fuck it, I, I, it's, time to, it's time to wrestle. <laughs> which Charles Johnson has a fight against Muhammad Makayev and if you watch that fight it looks like Makayev is just leaps and bounds up better but he's he was better than Charles Johnson but Charles if you actually watch the fight Charles Johnson didn't get submitted lasted and was making crazy transitions when he could, right? So Charles Johnson is nice on the ground. Um, I believe he took down Ode several times. Maybe, I know if it was one was definitive. And later in the round, that's, or later in the fight, that is probably what got Charles to that 
well, split loss. But, okay, yeah, a loss is a loss on your record. Hmm. Does a split loss look as bad as a KO? No. But it just shows you that, or even shows the UFC, regardless of how the judges scored it, it was still a close fight. It wasn't something like you got blown out of the water, which means, and for any fight, it's going to be difficult, but you're still going to get that same type of competition. Mind you, Johnson got Makayev, which Makayev's next fight, <laughs> he's, they're still building him. So even O'Day, with the amount of losses he has on his record, these guys are still elite of the elite, which is, it's scary, but now Charles Johnson knows what he needs to go back to the drawing board for. Even with the Makaya fight, I'm pretty sure his focus on wrestling became more intense. His takedown defense probably came, uh, you know, a degree or two better. But now this is just another reason for Charles Johnson to go back to the drawing board. And I'm probably speaking more on Charles Johnson because later in the show, we're going to have a little bit more on him. Now, here goes another crazy thing that I'm current going back and forth to my notes, but here goes another crazy thing that stood out to me. If you read the stats on the total fight, now, this shows you why it was split. Maybe the minute difference or so in control is what the judges on basically why the split was needed because. Charles Johnson, and if you watch this fight, you may want to go back because you're probably going to think I'm lying, but Charles Johnson outstruck Ode Osborne not only in total, but in overall strikes, which means he outstruck him in, so he either outstruck him or was even, but leg kicks, you know, significant strikes, um, to, I'm, I'm, which is crazy if you watch the fight because it looks like Ode Osborne is light years ahead as far as leg kicks are concerned. He starts early and he, he, he keeps it up often. Now, other than that, this, the fight did turn out basically like I thought it was going to, well, not like I thought it was going to go, but when you see what each fighter has as far as weapons are concerned, I don't think it could have really played out any other way. If they fight again, hopefully, I, I doubt they're going to fight again. But in the sense of anything that Johnson will learn or anything O'Day will learn, um, I think on Johnson's part, it's just the knowing that his pressure is gold, knowing that his pressure is key. Like, as, as far as a fan is concerned, that's what I see. When he pressures other fighters, he, he sets the pace for the fight. He sets the range, and once he's in that pocket, his boxing is nice. Now, moving on to Augusta Sakai versus Dante Mays. No, I'm not. Uh, 
I'll keep it G because I, I don't know. I'm, I may see these people in the street. I've seen fighters before and not ones that, you know, have been spoken about on the show. But, hey, now, no disrespect to Augusta Sakai or Mays and me having to even give this disclosure basically feels like I'm about to disrespect these gentlemen. I'm not. I'm just going to give some facts. <laughs> I can't. Don't feel hurt if I give facts based around actual events. But if you watch this fight, if you got a chance to view this fight, you would have noticed that if any given time you fast forward through that fight, because I watched the whole fight several times, depending on where you fall at and you fast forwarding, like you're trying to watch a porno, you're going to find that these dudes are on the cage. Once or twice, you may find them on the ground if you're skimming through. But these dudes, and I'm going to nutshell this, these dudes probably put more sweat on that cage than in any other UFC fight in history. In a 15-minute fight, maybe 10 to 12 minutes was spent against the cage. With Augusta Sakai putting pounds upon pounds on Dantel Mays. Now I'm going to jump around here and I'm going to go off beat. I, I don't, I would read the notes, but it, I'm going to, again, I'm going to, we're going to synopsize, we're going to synopsize this. But Dantel Mays was exhausted. And I'm not going to say I'm going to disrespect anybody because. Augusta Sakai did he was supposed to, but if Dontel Mays comes out and he's talking about, you're telling people you've, you've sparred with John Jones, you've been working with John Jones, you, did, did John Jones co-sign that? <laughs> you don't, you can't, you can't talk about working with John Jones and come out to a fight like that. Athlete or fan or whatever you, it doesn't matter. Now, I'd be surprised if Dontel Mays doesn't find himself released from the UFC. Augustus Guy got the win. The funny, well, I don't want to say it's a funny thing, but <laughs> crazy thing is, it's not like Augustus Sakai is going to get it. He only gets another monster, right? And Dontel Mays has lost to some beasts. Like, Dontel Mays getting pieced up by Cyril Gunn was, a, I mean, it's kind of like a, again, I now, now I'm going to sound like I'm being disrespectful. I'm not going to be disrespectful, but Cyril Gunn put it on Dontel Mays. Augustus Sakai put his weight on Dontel Mays. When Dontel Mays did have a chance to let his hands go, to actually have space to, Pieced up, piece up Augusta Sakai. He was exhausted. Now I fought before. I fought and I've sparred before. And I would tell you, when you're exhausted, you holding up your hands seems like a novel. It, it seems like it's kind of like being grateful to have fresh air. Lifting your arms up is a privilege when you're exhausted. I was, I don't, don't go back and watch that fight. Don't. The fight's over. 
I hope Dante Mays gets another shot at, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, I only state it this way because I don't like when fighters stick around and it feels like either they're earning a check or they haven't accepted the belief that this may not be the occupation for them anymore. And I say that because your brain is a precious thing. And whether you're getting hit on it or your body has to go through some traumatic experience like that type of fight, and I'm not saying he was he got completely demolished, but he got manhandled. Now let's move on. It sounds like I'm droning. Let's move on to Andre Muniz versus Brendan Allen. And this was a shocker. This is one of the shockers for me. Not a shocker in the fact that, or in the manner that Brendan Allen beat Andre Muniz. It's more so how he beat him. It's more so that Brendan Allen took some of Andre Muniz's, Muniz's, Muniz, Muniz. He took some of his best punches. He took some of his best shots. There's a sequence where Brendan Allen eats a straight from Andre Muniz and delivers his own counterpunch and knocks Muniz backwards. And Brandon Allen eats his uh, Muniz's punch like a like a snack. Now I don't know if it's in the cardio. I don't know if it's. We've seen Brandon Allen take shots before and him it, him go down. We we've seen it it really mess up his equilibrium. He took shots from on Andre Muniz and it was like it was nothing. Not like it was nothing, but the difference in power between the the two absorbing each other's shots, it seemed like it hurt Andre Muniz more than it hurt Brendan Allen. Let's see. Let's look at some more notes on this one. Now, I did question why this fight actually happened. I, I did question why Andre Muniz was going backwards. And I'm not saying Brandon Allen is... You're basically fighting backwards to possibly give someone your spot. Not saying Muniz was a, is a gatekeeper, but it's like he just earned that spot. And given that I guess Brandon Allen calls for, called for Muniz. That's, that's beautiful. And then he basically did what Muniz did, but did it better. Sorry if you can hear the motorcycles in the back, but it seems like this is Kill Bill and the crazy 88 just came around the corner. Um, so back to... Muniz versus Brendan Allen. And there's a couple of different reasons why I 
I watched this fight several times, but there's a reason why this fight was not only important for Brandon Allen, but important for anybody in the middleweight division that is within that, what, I guess if, I guess Brandon Allen said that he didn't get the jump to the spot 11 that that he wanted. But anybody in that top five, to, I want to say anybody, let's, 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 let's focus on the next five opponents or up to <laughs> the next five people in the weight division, but they should take notice. Um, if Brennan Allen was supposed to, we're going to get into some specifics about this particular match, but focusing on Brennan Allen at, the, at for now, him getting a chance to run it back with Chris Curtis would be perfect. Um, even though Chris Curtis did finish him and he did it in fucking pro fashion. Um, he should also get a shot at Sean Strickland if, and who knows if Sean Strickland's even game or, and it in a sense, like Muniz did go backwards. But let's get into a certain, let's get into the beginning of this fight. Let's get into a sequence that probably changed the trajectory of the fight in, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word trajectory several times, but in the mind of Muniz, there is a sequence where Brandon Allen hits Muniz with a straight right and he wobbles him against I I, I can't rem- I think he does hit the he hits the cage and I think at that point not only for the fans not only for whoever's watching and call anybody watching whether you're a judge or not <laughs> you are a fan you're not gonna sit there and judge a fight and not mm, I gotta go to work today listen you're a fan you're probably a professional fan like me, Mike David. Um, but I think that showed people like, hey, this fight ain't the fight that you thought this was. Now we've seen a kind of a similar, well, we see it all the time when these fighters step up, especially when you have um, new fighters debut in the UFC and they're sitting there knocking out fools. Like, I'm not going to, not shitting on Terrence McKinney, but. You, 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 your eyes get open to these people. Now, eyes open on Brennan Allen. We, I think I said this before, he eats Muniz's punches like a snack in certain sequences. Now, halfway through the second round, the, <laughs> I'm not making this up. I believe it's halfway through the fight. And halfway is literally like at the half point of the fight. Obviously, the fight didn't go the full 15 minutes. But halfway through the second round, it's like the 2.30 mark. I believe Brennan Allen reverses a Muniz takedown. And again, changes the trajectory of the fight in whoever's mind. Now, there's another point between round two and three where Muniz's coaches say, hey, bro, we're not, 
We're not going to the ground unless it's necessary. When your coaches tell a grappler, when you're, I don't want to emphasize on this, but listen, that's like, <laughs> that's like Eugene Behrman telling Izzy, let's not strike. When your coaches tell you, hey, let's not go to the ground unless it's necessary, that means there's a problem. Now, I'm pretty sure Brennan Allen didn't hear them say that. You know, you're in your, he's listening to his own advice from his own coaches. But that's exactly what Brandon Allen did in that next round. He took Nunez down and he submitted him. He knew he was better, or at least at that moment. I think who knows what was going on in that camp? Who knows what's going on with Menez? But he was tired. And Brandon Allen definitely capitalized on that. And I believe he got a rear neck of choke, tapped him out. Tapped him out with like 30 seconds left in the fight, which is crucial for Brandon Allen to get that finish. Crucial. I'm pretty sure he would have won the decision, but again, it's definitive. Now, if you hear a bang and you're probably hearing the dog upstairs bang his bone against the floor, you gotta love your neighbors. I love thy neighbor. <laughs> Moving on. The amount of noise. The amount of noise in this neighborhood at 10 fucking o'clock at night is amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> now let's get into Charles Johnson. I doubt I leave this on the official piece because I, I know there's a lot of cursing on this one, but the, the amount of noise around here is amazing. Let's get into Charles Johnson, episode eight, fighter of the week. Fighter, fighter, we gotta, I don't know, I might go with fighter of the episode. Now, fighter of the week is, these don't come out weekly yet. We're getting there, but fighter of the episode, our first fight card of this episode, Charles Johnson. Now, we talked about Charles Johnson earlier. Yes, he just lost to O'Day. But that doesn't matter because I've been impressed by Charles Johnson, even though he got, now it's like a shit sandwich, right? Even though he got beat by Muhammad Makayev, which was a good back and forth. It was a decision loss. But he's a former LFA flyweight champion. This dude loves to talk shit when he gets frustrated. Now, I don't know if he's using it to pump himself up, to mess with his opponent's confidence or get in their head. Uh, either way, when he does talk crap, he, he makes the fight a little bit more personal and anybody watching, obviously, it, it kind of pumps him up. In some of his fights, I don't know if this is his family, I don't know if it's because he's fighting in his hometown in some of these fights, but the crowd loves this dude. Now, let's get into a couple of reasons why I selected Charles Johnson. Overall skills is the first part. Now, again, <laughs> I have to qualify this. He's not that good on the ground. This dude is excellent on the ground. He just faced someone who is specialized in that area with Muhammad Makayev. But he's excellent on the ground. He has excellent Muay Thai. He has excellent jujitsu. Obviously, that's him being on the ground. But his transitions are nice. 
and his boxing or his more so his Muay Thai. He's he's very fluent when he gets his pace going. Now his head movement and his cockiness is very similar to like a, a young Cody Garbrandt. You you mix that you mix that together, you got you a, your Charles Johnson. Now again, he held his own against Makayev without being subbed. He was just outperformed by a wrestling experience. Like, okay, the wrestling or grappling specialty of Makayev was a problem. But when CJ is in the pocket, that, that's when he thrives. That's when he gets, again, that's when he gets his, his countering and him switching up his attacks. He's not a headhunter. He has insane cardio. And he, ta- he, he always, by switching up his kicks, he always taps into his opponent's gas tanks. And that's one of the reasons why, we I talked about this before, that's one of the reasons why he wins. He has insane cardio. And when he gets going, he melts professional fighters. He, he melts these dudes. Uh, I think his work in the LFA proves he, he's earned his spot in the UFC, given he has, he has a couple adjustments to make to give the top 20 problems, given that, again, Muhammad Makayev's in the rankings and someone I believe he might have lost, I may be wrong here, but he did lose to Brandon Royval, which I think that's when Brandon Royval became the champion of LFA, maybe in a different fight. Again, I'm maybe getting this wrong, but the dude's nice, and there is some people in that division that Harris already beat Charles Johnson, so there is some things he needs to correct. I believe he's, he's in his mid-30s at this point, so... Whatever he can adjust or change being in the UFC, having the difference of now you're in the elite of the elite. LFA has some good fighters. But obviously you see what the UFC, the UFC has the, as everyone knows, most of the best fighters in the world. There's a sprinkle in other divisions. but. Until they get to the UFC, <laughs> fucking UFC has the best fighters in the organization, in the sport. Countering, cardio, not being a headhunter. Those are essential to Charles Johnson being victorious, and obviously along with this pressure. I don't know if I see him being a title contender, but regardless... Given his age, he he may have that chance. That that top that upper part of that division, they're all killers. They are all killer, and we know who's at the top of that. We just seen Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueroa go back and forth four times. Charles Johnson, you got Kai Car France up there. Yeah. Eh. I'm not trying to shit on Charles Johnson because I think he's dope and I think he can start to be with a little work. Obviously, he has to start winning. We don't pick dudes on 
fighter cards just because they have crazy wins. We pick them because they have style. We pick them because they have not really a rat tail, but it's kind of like your afro is in the... It's like a... I don't know. You're, if you haven't seen Charles Johnson, he his hair is kind of like shaved. Or it's like a, a a taper, but he has a an afro on the on the on the the back of his neck. Is that more descriptive? <laughs> he has like if he was washing his head and it was going down the back of his head, he would have a patch of hair there that would like catch it all. It's kind of like having half of a a sweatband on your head. And it's colored. It's different colors every fight. That's why you picked him for this week's fighter card. That's why he's dope. <laughs> That's why I think you should watch him in the UFC. Now, moving on. To who? Our second fighter card of the week, Mateus Gamrot. I'm smiling. You probably, maybe you can hear it. I fucking love Mateus Gamrot. He did lose against Benil. But I think he, I can't remember if that fight was last minute. I can't remember what the, what, what, if there was any X, X factors in, the, in that fight. Yes, Benil beat him straight up, but he may have, he may have underestimated Benil Dariusha just, just a tad, but I still love Mateus Gamrot. Now I'm not trying to, again, we're not trying to <laughs> create shit sandwiches with our fighter cards. Mateus Gamrot can be a title holder. And that I truly believe that. Even though the lightweight division is, again, one of the deepest divisions in combat sports, the, the lightweight division in the UFC alone is ridiculous. But Mateus Gamrot has shown he has what it takes to be a title holder with a couple adjustments. And that's why he is episode eight's second fighter card of the episode. There we go. <laughs> now, episode eight's third fighter card of the episode, Jai Herbert. Now, the first time I really focused in on Jai Herbert, it was actually a fight he got rocked in. He got his... If his head was oh here goes the here goes the shit sandwich, um, his head almost got popped off like a top against Ilya Taporia, but if you watch the fight, he was giving Ilya Taporia the business. Now I believe he is in the um Rocky camp. He's in the Edwards fight. He's in the Edwards camp. Leon Edwards. Walterweight champion. So he spars with the best. And the dude is nice. Let's get into why I really, really dialed in on this dude and start to check out his fights a little closer. And did he make a couple of mistakes in certain fights? Sure. Definitely made a mistake in the Iliad Saporia fight. But this guy has a kickboxing style that cannot be ignored. Okay. Getting into. The latter part of this show getting into upcoming upcoming ufc 285 jones versus gone 
Now I'm going to rattle off some fights here. I'm just showing you that, again, I said this before, I'm just showing you all the fights that I don't have time to cover. But back to those main events, you know, dropping like flies. This is, this, this is still intact here. This card is still intact here. And there's still a lot of bangers on this card with it being intact. I'm just going to go over a couple of key fights here. We're going to start from the bottom. All right. I'm going to go all of, all of them. But the first in the early prelims and why this dude is on the early prelims, I understand. You want to start bringing the eyeballs. It's the, the, the last early prelim fight before the prelims start, which is, again, everybody knows these fights are to get the one. It gives times to get people to get their asses in the seats and get ready for the main event. It also for anybody watching that is on the fence about buying a pay-per-view and blah, 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 blah. They see these fights and you, you start getting more eyeballs. You see Ian Gary, possibly, possibly, I'm not, no crystal ball here. These are snap judgments. You might see Ian Gary beat KO, sub, Song Kanan, which would be beautiful. You're opening up, now you're opening up the prelims. We've all seen Julian Market Wall. Okay. <laughs> Gotta remember who I'm talking to here. If you haven't seen Julian Marquez fight, you probably don't want to miss this one. Mark Andre Burlet, Barrel, Burrell, Burello. I know, I know, I know this one. That's gonna be a banger. Now I was looking at the strikes per minute for Mark Andre, and let's see here. <laughs> Significant strikes per minute, five point three five. Now I think Julian Marquez is on a little skid here. If he hasn't lost his last fight, he lost the. Okay. So, wait a minute here. That's, that, that's, that's not, that guy's too dark to be Julian Marquez. Oh, here we go. So, yes, he did lose. He lost to Robocop, which, mm, it was a knockout KO. That one was pretty, pretty brutal for Julian Marquez. Just a little bit. Will we see the same thing from Marc-Andre? I don't know. But Marc-Andre is currently the favorite. Now, if we're going to talk about stick-out fights or fights that should have your fucking eyeballs thinking about watching the pay-per-view, Derek Brunson versus Drikus Duplessis. A lot of people think, well, even the odds, think that Drikus Duplessis is going to beat Derek Brunson. If Derek Brunson is the Derek Brunson that came out during the Cannoneer fight, if Derek Brunson is carrying anything from the end of that, <laughs> Cannoneer fight. Drekus Duplessis may be a favorite for a reason. He's the younger fighter. <laughs> Fucking Derek Brunson looks beautiful. Drekus Duplessis' body is like a more fit, more okay, not more fit, a more cut version of the Derek Brunson physique. Is that why I would no? I wouldn't pick it because of that. I think Derek Brunson is going to bring something that Drekus Duplessis hasn't really had to contend with against elite wrestlers and that's what Derek Brunson brings I think this may be a bad fight for Drickus and I think he may have gotten his shot through the rankings a little bit too quickly let's be honest here and this is not MMA math but if I can remember correctly Derek Brunson put the business on Darren Till Drickus Duplessis just had a he he beat Darren Till don't get me wrong but it's two it's two different 
two different fights. Again, these are snap judgments. <laughs> these are super fan snap judgments. Let's move on to the last prelim fight. Now, again, we're talking about, hmm, should I buy a pay-per-view? Cody Garbrandt versus Trevin Jones. This may end up, end up in a knockout, which you may, you would tip over to buy the pay-per-view after this fight. If you were going to stack these fights to where your banger was opening up the main card, this would be it. Now, Cody Garbrandt enters as a favorite. I believe Trevin Jones is on a three-fight losing skid. Don't, don't, don't go too far away here. I believe Cody Garbrandt is on a two-fight losing Mind you, he's on a two-fight losing streak, but he's lost to Rob Font and Kai Car France, which is two of the, I mean, two of the dopest dudes in that division. But I don't think it's just the two last losses. He won... Okay, let's go over his last five real quick. Out of Cody Garbrandt's last five fights, he's won one. Mind you, he's fought some killers in Kaikar. We just went over Kaikar France, Rob Font, Pedro Muniz, or <laughs> Pedro Munoz is a killer fight. He lost to Pedro Munoz. Obviously, title fight against TJ Dillashaw in his losses. They're all TKOs, which. Again, with the weight coming back up to Bantam, and it's, I wish the best for Cody Garbrandt, but it might be time for him to kind of, I don't know. I, I just hope he doesn't get knocked out again, because longevity-wise, you know I'm all for the brain. Now, Trevin Jones, I'm not saying Trevin Jones is going to come out there and starch Cody Garbrandt, because we know Cody Garbrandt is a... One of the most elite Bantamweights that we've seen. I mean, he's, he, he put the screws to Dominique Cruz. Sorry, I thought someone was in my house. Anyways, Trevin Jones. Couple of unanimous decision losses and one sub. So it's not like he is getting the brakes beat off him or he's been KO'd too many times. But being 13 and 9, eh, you, again, you may want to rethink some things. Um, his last major win was against, I believe his name is Mario Batista. And that was a, a pretty crazy knockout. Caught him in the perfect timing. Perfect, perfect timing. Um, so, again, this should be a banger as far as a main card opener is concerned. Cody Garbrandt versus Trevin Jones. Let's go to the opener. Bo Nickel, 3-0, versus Jamie Pickett. Now, if you want to, we're in the pay-per-view at this point, right? If you want to talk about ridiculousness, I believe this is Jamie, or excuse me, this is Bo Nickel's debut. I don't know if this is the highest uh, differential. I don't know if this is the highest favorite to ever open as a debut uh, or UFC debut. But he's minus 1,600 currently against Jamie Pickett. That's Bo Nickel. Um, crazy to see, but takedown accuracy 100%. That's, yeah, that's actually pretty, pretty nuts to see. Who do I think is going to win this fight? I'm not going to, we're not going to ask stupid questions here. <laughs> no disrespect to Jamie Pickett, but uh, let's be honest here. 
this is an opportunity for Jamie Pickett to put a stamp on his his name in the UFC. You know these fights that kind of make people. You beat Bo Nickel, man. You're you're rewriting your thirteen and eight record. Now moving on to my favorite. Mateus Gamrot versus Jalen Turner. Now, Jalen Turner, I'm not going to sit here and say, okay, 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 okay. These are snap judgments. Let me get to them a little quicker. Jalen Turner's reach, Jalen Turner's significant strikes per minute, (laughs) Jalen Turner's strike accuracy, Jalen Turner's takedown act. Okay, there's a lot of different reasons why this is a... Tricky fight for Mateus Gamrot, and it may give him his third loss. But if Jalen Turner's wrestling, scrambling, grappling, threat of submissions are not on point, and he makes, I don't want to say one mistake, because I, I guess we all, you know, there's going to be mistakes made even on Mateus's part, but. I don't think there is going to be much room for mistakes against Mateus Gamrot. And again, I think Jalen Turner has the striking to keep Mateus Gamrot at range. And I, well, it's a, it's a seven inch reach advantage over Mateus Gamrot. And the strike differential is, is another thing that's kind of throwing me off. If Mateus can get the wrestling down, Obviously, it's his fight. Am I going to pick here? This one's a little bit too, too confusing for me. But, yeah, I'm going to honestly say if Mateus can get a hold of Jalen Turner, I think Mateus is going to win this one, which Mateus Gamrot is a minus 220 favorite against Jalen Turner was plus 180. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go Gamrot on this one. No crystal ball, but moving on. Moving on to another one that no one needs a crystal ball for. No disrespect to Jeff Neal. Let's do a little MMA math real quick. I believe Jeff Neal has what it takes to be competitive against against Shafkot. But uh, didn't Neil Magny beat? Let's, let's confirm this. Let's confirm. Yeah, so Neil Magny... Uh, Neil Nagny beat Jeff Neal. Shavkat Rahmanov kind of ran through Neil Magny. Again, I'm not trying to do MMA math here, but Shavkat Rahmanov is a different breed of individual. Now he's at, this is a fight at welterweight, but the dude's 6'1". And if you know anything about Shavkat Rahmanov, if you ever know anything about the Walter White division, Shavkat is 16-0. Which is, uh, yeah, there's been some, you know, fighters coming in undefeated into the UFC. But he's finished fools, finished fools. I don't think he's ever, let's, let's see, especially in the UFC. I, can, I know this definitively. He has not gone three rounds in the UFC. And he almost always finishes fights within 
the first round, the dude's nice, nice. Now, his potential, his his peak, his zenith, obviously, he's been asking to fight higher-ranked fighters. And as he tells it, no one wants to take the fight. Jeff Neal takes the fight. I think Jeff Neal kind of took it personal a little bit, but if you're trying to raise through the ranks, rise through the ranks, and no one's giving you a fight, you're taking anyone who would give you a fight. You've got a number. Can I have, you know, can I have a chance at your number? Shafkat Romanov is a issue for the welterweight division in so many different ways. It's kind of scary. And I got to keep a mental note to kind of do a little better breakdown of the division and who he can possibly face next. But let's take a peek as we kind of wrap up. Let's see what's there. Let's, let's, let's see what's there in the welterweight division. So as we take a peek at the UFC, current UFC rankings, where's the welterweight division? There we go. There's Leon Edwards' pretty mug. All right, now let's check this out. Jeff Neal is currently sitting at number seven. So Jeff Neal currently sitting at number seven, and Shafkat wants that spot. Let's see who's under Jeff Neal. That Shafkat may be jumping, hopscotching, trampolining over. Now, it's not that many spots. It's only two fights. Vicente Luque, Vicente Luque and Sean Brady, which... Vicente Luque just lost to Jeff Neal. Sean Brady just lost to Bilal Muhammad. It's crazy because after Jeff Neal, after Jeff Neal, there are nothing but title contenders in those next couple of spots. So the question would be, who would, out of the Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman, how many more fights will it take for Shafkat Rachmanov to get to a title fight? I think after Jeff Neal, it's probably one more fight. Fights Jeff Neal if he wins. And depending on in what fashion he wins, he may get a shot at that title a little bit sooner. Now, do I think he rises above Jeff Neal in ranking too high? Not so much, because there are some guys in there that are staples in the top five of the welterweight division. So by the end of 2023, it's highly possible that we see Shafkat Rachmanov even being scheduled for a title fight in early 2024. Obviously, these comes with wins, and I'm not discounting Jeff Neal at all, because if you've been keeping up with the UFC, you've seen what Jeff Neal did to Vicente Luque. So I'm not ignoring Jeff Neal, which was a huge prospect coming into the UFC. But you got Shavkov Romanov, who is currently a minus 550 to Jeff Neal's plus 400. I'm going to go with Shavkov on this one. Now, getting into the last two. I, I may breeze over these, but trust me, I've done extensive work. And again, this is a professional fan coming to you. <laughs> I'm not going to come to you like I have analytics that are going to make your parlay, you know, a, a solid parlay. 
I've been right about things. I've been wrong about things. The X factor of things not to know, that's within the fighter themselves. And getting into Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso, that is just that. We're talking about an X factor and Alexa Grasso in her boxing. We're talking about, I don't think she has the ground game for Valentina. Something she can prove in this fight. The boxing may be a problem for Valentina, but I think Valentina's range and the, the way she keeps distance is just too nice. It's, she's too precise, and her striking is, she's, she's damaging. She's, I mean, we've seen her knock out people with head kicks. So if any, any point, if I feel like she, well, if I, I'm pretty sure if she feels like Alexa Grasso is touching her up a little bit too much with the striking, we've seen Valentina take people to the ground and her takedown accuracy is almost 65%. So it's a pos- it's a, the, the possibility of Alexa Grasso going down is high. Is she that nice on her back? Is she that nice on the ground? Maybe she'll take Valentina down. Who knows? I doubt it highly, but she can prove all this stuff. Now, as far as strikes landed per minute per fighter, it matters. And Alexa, Alexa Grasso's 5. Uh, 5.14 to Valentina's 3, 3.19, that I don't know if that speaks more towards the power of Valentina or the fact that Alexa Grasso is able to maintain her plan. I mean, she, she's getting a title shot for a reason, right? Now, let's see if Valentina or Alexa Grasso is able to mess up any of these, these numbers in a drastic way because you would have to almost. The fact that Alexa Grasso is sitting at 5.14 strikes landed per minute. To get that on Valentina Shevchenko would be, mm, I can't use the word awkward, but we haven't really seen it. And I don't think Valentina puts herself in positions to get struck that much. But those, that 3.19 strikes landed per minute with Valentina. Every time she's touching you, it's not to touch you. It's to either knock you out or to show you this is the position you're flawed in. This is the, this is the timing that I'm going to catch you every time with. Or you're not safe anywhere type of strikes. So I like Alexa Grasso, but we're going to go on the beautiful, very talented and deadly Valentina Shevchenko on this one. She's going she's gonna to keep the title. She 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 needs to she needs to run that back run that fight back with Talia Santos. She don't don't sleep on Talia Santos. And for the people that think Talia Santos pulled out of this uh, Aaron Blanchfield fight, she as a, I know it, she didn't pull out of the fight. She was having visa issues. Now, hopefully, she comes back soon. Whatever fight she has next, hopefully, she's able to. You know what? The funny, the funny thing is, if Aaron Blanchfield doesn't get the title fight next, she still may have to fight Talia Santos, which would still be an 
excellent fight because we just saw what Talia's I'm mean, what Aaron Blanchfield did to Andrade. Jessica Andrade. Jesus. Now moving on, staying on point with UFC 285 Jones versus Gone. This probably is going to be more brief than the Valentina one, but Jones versus Gone. John Jones versus Cyril Gone. Um, John Jones is currently sitting at one uh, minus 190 as the favorite, and I think he opened as the underdog, but mute point at this time. I talked about the question marks surrounding John Jones, the biggest of question marks surrounding John Jones, and that being you've been away for three years, one. You've changed your body composition from light heavyweight to heavyweight, which is what, an additional 30 to 40 pounds? And who knows how much weight he actually got up to, which is, again, it's a mute point. You've changed your body composition. Um, will he be faster? Will he be able to keep the same endurance wrestling and grounding and pounding these fools? Um, there is, there's a lot of different questions. There, here goes another question. Him being that big, do you think he's going to be faster than he was at lightweight? Do you think he's going to be as fast as he was at lightweight? Someone's lying to somebody. There, there is no way. There is no way John Jones is going to be as fast as he was at lightweight. It's Now, if you're not born or able to carry that weight for long periods of time, and I'm not talking about three years, I'm talking about you were this size for 20 years or you were this size for 10 years, 15 years, wherever you hit your peak in puberty or whatever, that's different. Cyril Gaon has carried around his weight for who knows when he hit his peak at 6'4". Six, six but we've seen how fast he is. Now, I'm not sitting here giving you the crystal ball rub. I'm telling you that these are the unknown factors. How slow will John Jones be? I'm not saying he's going to be quote-unquote slow, but he's definitely going to be slower than he was at light heavyweight. Has he gained new tools? Has he gained new abilities at light heavyweight? It's a possibility. Him being able to use his weight to leverage, hold, hold opponents down longer, that's, a, that's, all, that's all definites. And him being as elite as he is on the ground, who knows what he has in store for Cyril Gaon. Now, here goes the other two things that I'm going to say and probably leave this one in. We'll see tomorrow what happens. Am I going to pick one on this? I don't think so. Too many questions. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm a, oh, I'm a John Jones fan or I'm a Cyril G I'm a fighter fan. And for this one, I can't really call it. But here goes what my mind went to as a fan. Cyril Gaon has two things to worry about from John Jones. He has two skill sets to worry about. He has the stand-up game of John Jones, and he has the ground game of John Jones to worry about constantly for as long as the fight lasts. John Jones has one skill set to worry about. Now, I'm not saying John Jones, well, let's get into the skill set. 
The skill set is Cyril Gaunt's kickboxing. That's the factor that John Jones have to, has to worry about, or the skill set John Jones has to worry about. I'm not saying he, has, he doesn't have to worry about wrestling or takedown, but he kind of doesn't. It's in, at this point, it's encoded in John Jones' DNA to stop a takedown. It's encoded in his DNA to know a takedown is coming or what to do into the, in the sequence of him possibly being taken down. And if he does, does get taken down, we can believe he's not going to be there long. Cyril Gan does have to worry about being taken down. Cyril Gan does have to worry about the awkward strikes coming at awkward angles. So, again, the question marks that mash up on this one. Does John opening at a minus 190 really? Sure. Uh, he ca- his name carries weight. They're rolling out the invisible red carpet for John Jones. Period. I think Cyril Gaon gives him problems, and I do think there is a dog in Cyril Gaon. I don't like watching the Tai Tui Vasa fight where Cyril Gaon puts a beating on him. Because it's, it's kind of disheartening, maybe because I like Tai Tuivasa. But Cyril Gaon, is, he, he has a dog in him. We've seen it when he beat up Derek Lewis. Am I comparing these gentlemen to the ability of John Jones? No, no. I think John Jones runs through both of those dudes. I, I'm, that being Tai Tuivasa and Derek Lewis. But I am saying... With any fighter, I think if you push them to the place they need to go, they should be able to take it there. If Cyril Gaon can stay on his feet, I believe he wins this fight. If Cyril Gaon can not stay long on that ground or be so much of a problem when John Jones goes to take him to the ground, I think he can win the fight. But if John Jones does John Jones things at light heavyweight, excuse me. If he does what he does at heavyweight, what he did at light heavyweight, he's going to run this division for a very, very long... Uh, let me not say that, because <laughs> Curtis Blades is waiting around the corner. <laughs> Curtis Blades is like that dude that's been waiting to get with your girlfriend or your wife or your fiancé, and he's waiting for you to fuck up, and he's looking around the corner, and he is going to pounce on your lady as soon as you're out of the picture. Curtis Blades is a problem for Cyril Gaon, and I believe he's going to be a problem for John Jones as well. Mind you, Aspinall is... <laughs> We're not going to get into Aspinall right now. But that kind of wraps it up for UFC 285, Jones versus Gaon. That's going to wrap it up for this episode, episode eight. It never rains in Southern California. I did want to talk on other things, but this is going to be another abbreviated episode. I needed to get it out. I needed to get it done. And there's going to be more to come very, very soon. Let's briefly talk as we sign off. Because I do want to change up the format a little. And I do want to talk about fights a little bit more further out. Instead of, uh, I know I'm, again, the timing of these releases. 
just want to make sure I get them out, especially for when I'm predicting certain fights or how certain fights are going to go. Uh, I don't want to obviously release the shit after. But I do want to start doing recaps of these events, possibly a day or two after they happen. UFC Fight Night, Jan versus Devalishvili. Merab Devalishvili. I fucking... It's scary. Because that's not a good fight for Peter Jan, but we're, we're talking about the whole event. Um, I'm going to try to do a better breakdown of this event and try to actually get into some of these fights and do some better picks, some more definitive picks. Look at these prelims. Also, there's a Guyanese fighter on this card. We love when the Guyanese people fight. Um, so yeah, look forward to, and it's all my birthday. Perfect. We're going to go over the Jan versus Mayrob Devalish Willie, and we're going to take a look at Edwards versus Usman. That's probably going to get its own nice, juicy episode. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a good annotating. Oh, it's in London. Anyways, if you're still listening, if you followed me all the way to the end of the episode, you came down this rabbit hole. Thank you. Thank you. As I've noted before, if you're checking out the EP magazine, Thank you again for everyone that was looking for it, for everyone that's been keeping up with the site. Again, you've given me the push to get closer and closer to having this done, and I appreciate all the feedback. Please like, rate, subscribe, whatever platform you're on right now. Leave, leave a review. If you hate this fucking show, if you're still listening and you hate this show... Please let me know in whatever platform you're on. Um, again, the home website for the Commando, the EP magazine is movierolls.com. Catch you guys later.